Well, good morning and welcome to Grace City Online. My name is David Hederman. I'm the teaching pastor here. Thank you so much for joining us online and being a part of our community. So we've recorded this sermon on Thursday, August 27th. And last night, there were two historical events that happened across our nation. The first was Hurricane Laura made landfall as a Category 4 storm, uh, damaging much of the Louisiana Gulf Coast and displacing hundreds and thousands of the residents of Louisiana. They've evacuated all across the South, and now in the coming days, they'll be returning to their homes to survey the damage, um, begin the cleanup process, and to see what all has been lost in the storm. The second event that happened last night comes from the sporting world. The Milwaukee Bucks of the NBA boycotted their playoff game, which prompted other teams in the NBA, the WNBA, and and Major League Baseball uh, to follow suit. They took this action to protest not only the shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin, but to continue to draw attention to the violence and injustices suffered by, by black and brown lives all across our nation. Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Jacob Blake have been one occasion for lament after another. Truthfully, 2020 has been a year full of historical moments, with the majority of them rooted in tragedy, grief, and heartache. And in so many ways, it's been a year full of sadness. But in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, Jesus promises, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Last week, we began a new teaching series looking at the Beatitudes. And this Beatitude from Matthew 5, verse 4, was the scheduled Beatitude for us to look at today. And yes, I believe that God's timing is always perfect. From last week, we learned that Beatitude simply means blessing. And so he begins the Sermon on the Mount with a series of blessings. And with that, he teaches, he begins the sermon teaching on what it means to be blessed and who is blessed. And when he teaches this, it completely defies expectation. You see, the majority of those who were listening to the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus first gave it were those who were uh, among the poor and the outcasts and the oppressed and the abused, the group of people that you would most decidedly say are not blessed. But yet Jesus, with this Beatitudes, reveals that so often it's those that, that know pain and shame and suffering in their life. They're the ones who are actually blessed and close to the heart of God. Not the powerful, not the rich, not the elite. And that completely defied expectation. It was a shocking revelation from Jesus. But for us, 2,000 years removed from the Sermon on the Mount, it's, it's kind of what we would expect with what we know about Jesus. We knew that he was, know that he was always among the, the outcasts and the sinners, that Jesus described himself as the doctor who's come for the sick, right? That he's come to seek and to save those who are lost. So in so many ways, when we hear Matthew 5, 4, it makes sense to us. Or when we hear these Beatitudes, it makes sense to us. But I also think, in so many ways, this still defies expectation. Because those whom Jesus calls blessed are those that we would never think to call blessed. Like last week, we wouldn't think to call those poor in spirit as blessed, but Jesus says that they are. We wouldn't think the poor in spirit are blessed because they have that feeling. They know what it means to be powerless, to, be, to feel empty, to feel drained. Something has happened to them. Or maybe they have done something, or something has happened to us, or or, or we have done something to where we feel poor in spirit. We feel the confusion, we feel the frustration, we feel helplessness, we feel the powerlessness. And that is the opposite of what we would call blessed. Yet Jesus 
calls the poor in spirit blessed as they are poor in spirit over the brokenness and sinfulness they see in the world around them and they are poor in spirit in the face of the brokenness and sinfulness in their own soul. Both of those, the brokenness in the world around them and the brokenness in their own soul, lead the poor in spirit to depend on Christ and Christ alone. Their hope is not in themselves. Their hope is in the Lord. And Jesus says they are blessed. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And after giving that initial beatitude that's shocking in and of itself, Jesus gives this other blessing that's just as jarring. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It's just not what you'd expect. It's it's not what you'd expect because we don't typically think of those who are mourning as blessed. We think of them as afflicted. Right? We, we, we think, or, or, or maybe if they're grieving for something that they've done, we think of them as getting what they deserve after sinful action. So we don't think of them more as blessed. We think of them rather as a victim to be tended to or a guilty party caught in an, in, in an indiscretion. Are they to be pitied? Maybe. Prayed for? Absolutely. But we would never say that they're blessed. But Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, there's some debate among Bible scholars as to what's causing the mourning that is to be blessed. Uh, and, and I think that forces kind of an unnecessary split with this passage, or, or kind of an unnecessary compartmentalization, if you will. Like, there are some who say, without a doubt, that it's, it's those, are, those who are blessed are those who are mourning over their own sin. Then there are others who say, no, it's those that, are, those that are blessed are mourning over a circumstance that happened to them, whether they are the victims of the oppression of Rome or victims of being marginalized from the religious establishment, or, or maybe they're just mourning the death of a loved one. And again, I would think those compartmentalizations are kind of unnecessary because all of those classifications or compartmentalizations, if you will, all of those, they are a response to sin being in this world. Remember, the original sin of humanity, that's what brought into this world sickness, pain, death, heartache, disaster, brought other sins into this world. And so I would say whether it's one's own sin, the sins in the society in which they're living, like we are, we are right to mourn it all. And, and really, keep in mind, this follows the, the other beatitude of blessed are the poor in spirit, which mirrors that same dynamic. The poor in spirit, or poor in spirit over what's happened around them as well as what they've done themselves. And I think the same thing is happening here with blessed are those who mourn. Now, the reason we're going into the weeds to have this discussion is because I do think there is a, a, word of, a point of caution here. Because to overemphasize one aspect makes you miss the significance of the other. For instance, if you believe that, that the only type of mourning that this is speaking to is mourning over the evils and injustices and the brokenness in the world around you. Like if that's what you think, blessed are those who are mourning the injustices of this world, then you're going to run the risk of missing the importance of grieving your own sin. And, and if you don't grieve your own sin, what ends up happening then is you contribute to this kind of victim mentality of, 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 of a community where you don't own your contribution to the brokenness of the world around you. If you're only focusing on the sin of the injustices of this world, then everyone's a victim of someone else's sin, someone else's uh, egregious act, and no one is stopping to take personal account of how they've contributed to the brokenness in the world around them. If you say that this is only mourning over your own sin, 
and it has nothing to do with the brokenness and injustice in the world around you, then you run the risk of not having a proper lament and grief for when there is injustice and suffering in this world. You see those as only an individual issue and not a systemic one, which then leads you to take an individual approach to solve it and not a systemic approach, when in actuality, both are needed. And so, yes, we are right to mourn it all, as Jesus shockingly says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You see, when we mourn, when we mourn, we are drawn close to the Lord, and God draws close to us. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 through 4, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Our Lord is a Father of compassion, and He is a God of comfort. So what we should hear in that and what we should take from that promise in Scripture, what we should take from that attribute of our Lord is that we do not worship a God who is detached from our suffering. We do not worship a God who is removed from the heartache that we walk through, but rather he comes close to us in times of trial and heartache and suffering. And remember that the triune God knows suffering firsthand as well. He sends God the Son to be a sacrifice for our sin, that he would take the penalty of our sins on himself when he suffers the cross. God the Son knows what it's like to take on flesh, walk this earth, walk this earth experience grief and, and betrayal and loss, suffer violence at the hands of men. And so, yes, the, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the triune God, he knows every aspect of grief. And I would say he knows it to a degree the likes of which we will never know. And so, yes, he is able to be with us in our grief, to be with us in our mourning. Whatever it is that's causing it, he's able to be there with us in it as he is a God of comfort. So when we lose a loved one, when we walk through a sickness, suffer a hurricane or a tornado, we can know that God is with us in our grief, that he's with us in our heartache as he is a God who comforts. He also draws close to us even in our times of sin. Scripture tells us it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Scripture tells us that even while we were sinners, he died for us. He shows us love and that while we're still sinners, he makes this sacrifice. And so with that, he's coming towards us in that, right? He's showing us the way to repentance, showing us the way towards forgiveness. So God rescues us out of sin, comforts us from the afflictions of our sin, and then enables us to join him in the redemptive and restorative work that he's doing in the hearts and lives of those around us as he advances his kingdom. How did Corinthians say that? He comforts us so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Now now I can start to see, and maybe you can too, how this strange teaching from Jesus, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted, how this starts to make a bit more sense. And it's, it's not something that we seek out per se. It's not like I'm going to go get me some tragedy so I can be blessed from God, right? It's not something that we seek out, but rather it's, it's not something to despair in without hope. When tragedy, when suffering, when that happens, because we know that when we mourn, we will experience the comfort of our God and the calling of his kingdom. We know that when we mourn, we'll experience the comfort of our God and the calling of his kingdom. 
The Apostle Paul illustrates this uh, about halfway through the same letter that he had written to the church in Corinth. This was the second letter that Paul had written to the Corinthians. And the first one was a scathing letter. It called out one sin after another, both sins that people in the church had committed and, and also uh, sins that the church had, the, had allowed uh, to stand unchallenged in their community of faith. And so it's one rebuke after another, so much so that, that Paul was nervous to send a letter. Like he thought it might have been too harsh, um, uh, too scathing, that it was going to cause them too much grief, too much sorrow. But ultimately, Paul actually takes joy that he sent the letter because the Corinthians have the right response to it. They mourn and grieve over their sin. They heed the call of God to repentance. And they took appropriate actions, so much so that Paul actually commends them for the actions that they took. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 now, verse 10 through 11, he says this. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. So mourning and sorrow is going to produce something in us. And Paul lets us know what it is. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So you see what's happening there was a promise in Scripture that when we mourn, whether it's over our sin or the systemic sinfulness in the world around us, when we're mourning those things, it leads to repentance. And this godly sorrow produces fruit in the lives of the believer. It, it, it brings earnestness. That is you taking ownership of your sin. That is you taking responsibility for your sin. It's taking sin and your repentance from it seriously. That's taking the brokenness and injustice that you see around you serious as well. Taking responsibility for that and working diligently to seek its end. It brings an eagerness to clear yourself. An eagerness to clear yourself of, of both how you've contributed to the brokenness with your own sin and how you've done your part not to allow sin to stay and wreak havoc on those whom God has placed around you. And that sorrow, that mourning also leads to indignation. Or you should hear a righteous anger in that. There's anger over how you've sinned and grieved the Lord. There's anger over the injustice and heartache that's perpetrated by systemic sin in the world around us. It leads to indignation. A godly sorrow leads to alarm, longing, and concern. Right? We're, not, we're not trivializing sin. We're not trivializing that. It leads to alarm. Something has happened. I have wronged someone. Or I have wronged someone. Or I have rebelled against the Lord. Something has happened. Someone has wronged a neighbor. They've broken the peace. And that's not okay. And so there's alarm over what's happened. But there's also longing to see what's broken set to right. There's a longing to see restoration. And there's concern. There's concern over both the sinner who is perpetrating the brokenness and there's concern for the one who's been sinned against and so a godly sorrow is producing all these things in the lives of a believer to where it even creates a readiness to see justice done how much is that a needed part of the witness for the church today that the church would be known for being ready to see justice done and the church in Corinth, 
This was their response to sin. This was their response to when, when Paul wrote the first letter and he commended them for it. He said, at every point you've proved yourselves innocent in this matter. They mourned their sin, which led to repentance of it. They saw the sin in their community of faith, which led them to address it. And Paul praises them for that action. And I pray, I pray that would be Grace City's response when we walk through seasons of mourning. Because no doubt 2020 has given us one occasion after another to mourn. And this past week, with the shooting of Jacob Blake and with the landfall of Hurricane Laura, it's given us two more. And with both of those, and with all the occasions throughout 2020, we are desperate to feel the comfort and the closeness of the Holy Spirit in our grief. So with sickness, with COVID, or or, or with natural disasters, with the hurricane, may we know that God is not distant, but he is close to the brokenhearted. With the sinfulness of our humanity on display and how we treat one another and how we allow one another to be treated and to be devalued, may we mourn with a godly sorrow. May our mourning lead to healing and redemption both in our lives and in the world around us. May our mourning help us express our grief rather than silence it or pretend it doesn't exist. May our mourning lead to acts of repentance from personal sin and to acts of justice for others. May we answer the call of his kingdom and experience the comfort of our Savior. And may we live with the truth that blessed are those who mourn. Let me pray for us. God, we love you and we thank you that you are close to the brokenhearted. We thank you that you are the father of compassion, that you are the God of comfort. God, I pray for those that have watched online. I do not know what they're walking through, Lord God, but I pray that if they're walking through seasons of grief, if they're grieved about what they see on TV in Louisiana or across our nation, Lord God, I pray that you would be with them in that sorrow, that that they would be aware that you are with them in that sorrow. Lord God, that I pray that they would mourn with a godly sorrow that would produce in them these truths that we see in Scripture. And, and, and earnestness to, to take responsibility for their sin and for the brokenness in the world around them. Uh, a, a, a desire to um, engage this effort, Lord God. I pray that it would bring in them a, a, an alarm, a longing, a concern, and a readiness to see justice done. And God, I pray that we would once again come back and rest on the grace and truth that we are loved by you, that you and your grace and provision sent your son Christ to be the sacrifice for us, Lord God, to make a way for our sins to be forgiven, for us to be brought into your kingdom where we know in your kingdom one day there'll be no more heartache, no more tears, no more grief, and no more mourning. But God, until then, help us to live as people of your kingdom, putting on display that eternal hope. God, may we know that when we mourn, we can experience your comfort and be engaged in the calling of your kingdom. God, help us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen.